outsized returns, right, um, are usually very much linked to fund size, right? And by definition, emerging most emerging fund founders, right, have very small fund sizes. I think the second thing that is also true is emerging fund managers, and not only in venture, but it's it's the same thing for hedge funds and private equity. When you get off the ground, you hustle like crazy. I mean, like you you really want to make it happen. The incentive to do to work incredibly hard for your investors is there, and I I've been there. Continue to hustle, but I think like the hustle that emerging fund managers show is incredible, and so. I want to back into that. Another day, another fun episode. Today we had Boris Words. Boris is founding partner of Version One Venture, and he's one of the top early stage investors in North America. He's a former board partner with Andreessen and Horowitz. Version One has backed iconic companies like Coinbase, Angelus, Dapper Labs, and Shippo, to name a few. Before becoming an investor, Boris built an online marketplace for use and out-of-print books and in 1999, he sold the business to apebooks.com. Apebooks was sold to Amazon later. In this episode, we covered various topics starting from the founding story of version 1, how he is able to scale version 1 from fund 1 which was 15 million to fund 4 which is 75 million, the importance of reinventing yourself as a fund manager to stay relevant, the challenges with portfolio construction, why it's important to get the portfolio construction right, biggest takeaways from his visit in India, why is he excited about the Indian tech opportunity, why he invests in emerging fund managers, and why investing in fund manager is a great investment opportunity much more now i bring you boris words boris i'm so excited to have you on the show thanks for having me really excited to be here likewise boris you recently announced uh or not very recent but you're onto your fund four uh, which is core fund is 70 million uh, and then you also have opportunity fund 30 mil so overall 100 mil uh, before we dive into that, uh, maybe a good starting point would be what led you into angel investing and why version one post that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so former entrepreneur started a company in 99, Internet 1.0, uh, over a few uh, twists and turns, uh, sold that company to, uh, to Amazon 2008. And then wasn't quite sure if I should go back to starting something new, operating, investing. I had started angel investing a little bit and want to explore that more and uh, work with a few VCs um, in, in, in formal and, and uh, more official roles. And then felt after four years of building my own track record, learning from, from, from other VCs, that I was ready to uh, launch my own uh, institutional fund. So I started Version 1 Ventures in 2012, um, so 11 years in. Four core funds, two opportunity funds, total uh, in, of about $250 million under management. Got it. And Boris, uh, you know, from fund one to fund four, we'll talk about fundraising from LPs. What has changed? Uh, how have you evolved? And we can also talk about the mistakes that you made around fundraising from LPs. Yeah. So first of all, what has changed, like the, the first fund was about 15 million US, right? The latest fund is 70 million. So obviously... You know, there's there's almost a five x increase in fund sizes, 
um, partly because we uh, we are now two GPs since fund three, so there's two partners to invest. Partly because fundraisers fund raises of company portfolio companies have have increased. Partly because we felt we wanted to um, uh, invest more in in our parada and follow on. So overall, you know, kind of the biggest thing is uh, fund fund sizes have increased almost five x from from one from fund one to fund four. I think the second one that that has obviously changed is just uh, the type of investors we have. Uh, originally, most of the in- initial fund was raised from high net worth uh, individuals and uh, founders and entrepreneurs out of my network, um, and really kind of hustled to to kind of that that fund. There was only one institutional investor that came in at the tail end. Um, but but mostly it was was private individuals that that made that fund happen. Today we're over eighty five percent institutional capital, five uh, core relationships that we have built up over the years between uh, U.S., Canada, and Europe, and uh, kind of obviously that so the profile has has changed uh, quite quite a bit. What has stayed the same is um, we're still a generalist VC. We've always been a generalist VC. Um, what we change is kind of where we focus. Uh, originally, with Fund One, uh, marketplaces and and enterprise and vertical SaaS was very much our focus. Today, it's a much broader one, uh, you know, including uh, crypto and climate, plus the bread and butter of of still marketplace and vertical SaaS. So, I think we're continuously thinking about where we put our our focus um, and uh, where where we spend time. Yeah, but has also not changed still the clear focus on early stage. So pre-seed and seed, we have never really uh, moved away from that uh, and, and really doubling down on these early, early stages of ultimately placing founder bets. Got it, Boris. Uh, so you talked about we keep, uh, you know, rethinking, uh, reimagining, you know, what sectors to focus on. And you recently tweeted about it. You know, the biggest returns come through compounding effects over a long period of time. Uh, but you can't be the same. You have to keep on reinventing yourself. How have you put that in practice for yourself over the last, you know, ten to twelve years? Yeah, I, th- I think the, uh, the 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 tough thing is really you're never really quite sure what's next, right? I mean, in in hindsight, it's obvious. In hindsight, it's obvious that 2016 was a great time to invest in crypto. Nobody believed in it. There were very few investors. There were very few entrepreneurs. Uh, almost every single project was unique and and uh, and special, right? But I think um, the, the way we think about it is, is, is a few you know, phrases we always use. Like one of the things we say uh, to, to stay kind of in, in this very early area is like, whenever a category is branded, right? You miss the opportunity in early stage. Like the moment you talk about the sharing economy, you miss Airbnb, right? You want to invest in this strange thing called Airbnb without saying like, oh, there's this big trend of a sharing economy, right? And so that that's one of the things we're we're always thinking about. I think another one is is um, kind of at the early stage, you really want to have this this kind of absolute optionality. So one of the things we always remind ourselves: if you know how the movie is going to play out then it's probably just too late for us to invest. It doesn't really make sense. You know, like I would say lots of the vertical SaaS products today, right? They follow a certain playbook. Everything is very well defined. Um, you know, the, the, the opportunities has got, have gotten smaller. 
But that wasn't the case 10 years ago. And when we first invested in vertical SaaS, uh, people thought, you know, these, these are too small of a market. Uh, people couldn't really imagine how, how large these things could become. So um, we want to see optionality. Um, and, and that you usually get with things that look a little strange, are uh, underrated by the market, um, are not yet a category, uh, are not quite clear how they're going to play out. And uh, you have to be ready to take those risks that a bunch of them won't play out, right? A bunch of them will, will, uh, will not work out. Yeah. And Boris, over the last, uh, you know, years uh, during your funds, has your portfolio construction changed? Uh, and also, why having a clear portfolio construction matters a lot? Yeah. So, so perhaps I, I first explain perhaps how we think about portfolio construction right now and what are the things that we learned over the years and kind of we've done done wrong. So the way we think about it is that every single portfolio company as a combination of the ownership you have and the, 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 the outcome you can imagine can pay back the whole fund, right? Um, so basically on a, on a $70 million uh, early stage fund, assuming you have a 10, 10% ownership at exit, needs to be a $700 million outcome that you can imagine. Right? Um, and and uh, from, from experience, we've seen that about 10 to 15% of our portfolio companies are responsible for all of the, all of the returns, right? And so if you, if you do 25 to 30 portfolio companies in one fund, two to three um, will, will really be these fund makers. And that gets you really to a 3x if uh, all, all three kind of get to become fund makers. And if they become multiple fund makers, then you can go, go on to do a, a, a 5x, a potentially even a 10x fund, right? But that's what we really think about it in terms of we need to imagine a certain outcome, right? And we need to get, get have a certain ownership and we need to hit a certain hit rate on the real successes in, in, in the company. The, the challenge is that often what I've seen is people invest, uh, don't, don't have the right ownership. So you suddenly hit a multi-billion dollar outcome. But unfortunately, instead of only 10%, you only earn 1%, right? And ultimately, that just doesn't get you to the returns that you need to, 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 to get to. People have um, too broad of a portfolio, right? And so uh, ultimately, they are more an index than kind of an, 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 an conviction. Bet. Or they have too concentrated of a portfolio for the early stage, right? Where it's just going to be really hard to, to hit an outlier Win a portfolio um, of of uh, ten. So the way, as I said, like we think about for us, twenty five to thirty portfolio companies. Every single one needs to have the potential to be a fund maker. In the end, ten to fifteen percent of those will be fund makers, and that gets us to a three x. And then with upside, if one of those becomes even a multiple fund maker. And Boris, uh, over the years, how has you know, VC investing evolved uh, the past many years, meaning now there's solo capitalists uh, are breaking out as many others. Maybe you can touch upon how the investing world is changing. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And and really, when when I started version one 11 years ago, it was a very different mindset. Uh, first of all, most funds that got raised at the seed stage were small angel-like funds, you know, kind of like version one, 15 to 20 to 25 million, lots of solo GPs or teams of two, right? 
all almost all generalist funds, right? And so I think what we've seen in the meantime, in the last uh, 11 years, 10, 11 years, are, are three big trends. I mean, the first one is lots of these uh, rather small funds have really evolved into platforms. So think about like the, the fund that in North America really invented the the micro VC category first on capital. I mean, they, they like the latest fund was over $200 million, right? And so that's not a small fund anymore. That is really kind of a, a large seed platform. I think the second thing that we've seen is a combination of kind of vertical specialized funds together with often solar GPs. So just an explosion of the number of funds that were, were driven by individual people and focused often in, in certain certain areas. And then last but not least, obviously the big platforms, the, the large VCs kind of moving into seed, moving into early stage investment. So net net, uh, way more capital available, um, way more noise, way more competition. I, I think when I think about uh, back in, in uh, 2012, 2013, 14, there was way more collaboration going on between seed funds because seed funds couldn't on their own kind of lead a whole round. They didn't have large enough rounds. So usually you got together with two or three other seed funds. These days, very different scenario. Everybody is kind of trying to lead around and it's it's uh, it's way less collaborative uh, today than it was 10 years ago. God, it seems like, uh, you know, India is exactly where uh, North America was in 2012, 2013, you know, only few institutional funds, a lot of super angels, micro funds, a lot of collaboration. And it seems like it's also a function of uh, where the market is overall. You know, in the long run, we will also see in India where there'll be specialized fund, sector focus, industry focus, very interesting. And uh, fully agree on that. Like when, when I spent a week in India two months ago, that was exactly the impression. Like it felt like North America 10, 15 years ago, right? Where you were just emerging, a venture capital ecosystem was just emerging, right? And uh, much more collaborative with fewer players, et cetera. But yeah. I think the path will be very similar over over the next two decades. I guess I can learn from you and and can have an edge, <laughs> at least uh, uh, some Hopefully. sort of understanding. Boris, uh, you know, you you were in India recently, uh, and you tweeted about it. You you mentioned, you know, the coming decades uh, would be uh, India's decades, and tech would play a big role. Uh, maybe you can touch upon that. Why would you say that? Yeah, I think the, uh, I mean, there, there's some obvious reasons, right? That I think everybody that has looked at India kind of understands, you know, growing population, largest population in the world, strong tech ecosystem, um, geopolitical reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if I, if I would take one thing away from my visit in India that impressed me the most and surprised me the most is just the amount of entrepreneurs that had um, studied and worked in the U.S., right? saw the startup ecosystem there, and then moved back to India to build something in India, right? And I think the combination of somebody that is like all in on an opportunity, right? Um, but also has like seen how to go after this opportunity because they have uh, worked for you know, kind of some some amazing companies in 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 the in the valley. I think that's a very unique set of circumstances, right? And so I think you have been talking about it many, many times. The the reverse brain drain is a real thing, right? And I had read about it, you talked about it, but then the amount of entrepreneurs I met in India that kind of 
were part of that reverse brain drain was was just astonishing. And I think that is just um, a, an incredible recipe for for uh, success of of the, the the tech ecosystem going forward. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be a very very interesting trend to observe uh, in the long run, and it's just the beginning. Uh, and uh, and also, I think I was thinking about it. You know, and you talked about it. There are two themes. One is India for India, and one is India for the world. Uh, and you know, because of I think pandemic accelerated, uh, you know, work from home or work from anywhere, remote work trend. And now Indians uh, building companies from here, they already have a network in the U.S. who are Indian origin. So it'll be a very interesting trend how that, you know, those two things would connect and uh, building a company at a large scale because they've already worked at companies at large scale in the U.S. Uh, so that'll be an interesting trend to see. Yeah, fully agreed. And uh, Boris, you have been also investing in other funds. Uh, maybe why did you start investing in other funds? And uh, further to that would be... Uh, what triggers you uh, or what do you look for when investing in uh, fund managers? A few things why invest in other funds and, and you know, have about 20 GP relationships by now. A, it's a great way to give back, right? I mean, I was a first time fund manager at some stage, right? And I struggled to raise my first fund. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, kind of now having been a little bit more established, it's a great way to 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 give back and and support emerging GPs. I think the the the, the second thing I uh, also think like it's it's a great investment, right? Emerging GPs, as you know, kind of especially when they run very small funds in with with interesting strategies, have some of the best opportunities for returns, right? So I think it's actually a really interesting way to to uh, to invest your money. And then, uh, last but not least, I, I love learning from other people. And and it could be that I invest in in verticals where I have no exposure, right? Hardware, um, chips, um, or other geographies where I have no exposure. India, for example, just learning from from uh, kind of these emerging GPs, uh, how they think around the opportunity, uh, look at the deals they're doing, etc. So so it's really a combination of giving back, um, great investment, uh, and also learning for myself. Got it. So one, why do you think it's a great investment specifically in emerging fund managers? Secondly, what are the few things that you look for when you're investing uh, in a fund manager? Yeah. So I just think that outsized returns, right, are usually very much linked to fund size, right? And by definition, emerging, most emerging fund managers, right, have very small fund sizes, right? I think the second thing that is also true is emerging fund managers and not only in venture but it's it's the same thing for hedge funds and private equity like when you get off the ground you hustle like crazy i mean like you you really want to make it happen right? and so i think the incentive to do to work incredibly hard for your investors is there and i i've been there continue to, to hustle but i think like the the, the the hustle that emerging fund managers show is is uh is incredible, and so I want to back into that. I think what um, what really triggers me, and kind of what what I kind of my my selection criteria would be um, threefold. I mean, the first one is um, 
it's it needs to be really differentiated in the market, right? Um, especially in a busy market like North America. India has a different story. You know, you have whatever three or four seed funds, perhaps five or six. But it's like it's it's like ultimately that that is more about um, uh, kind of the, the the country, the ecosystem. Then can this matter per se? Kind of see the deal flow and differentiate, right? Uh, but especially in the North American market, it's like if you ha don't have a real differentiation, it's really, really tough, right? I think the second thing is then um, um, kind of more specifically, how do you get your deal flow, right? Um, because uh, like there's too many that just rely on existing networks, right? And as things evolve, uh, as the market shifts, as network shifts, you need to, back to the previous discussion, you need to reinvent yourself. So what is your scalable way of, of creating, creating deal flow? And then the last one is like, and especially emerging fund managers sometimes have that challenge. Like, do you think uh, like an entrepreneur or do you think like an investor, right? And so these are things like portfolio construction. These are things like, um, Kind of, do you feel like you're the you want to be the player or you want to be the coach, right? And an investor needs to be the coach; they, they can't be the player, right? Um, how do you think around um, creating uh, outlier chances? How do you think about creating optionality? So, really, all the things of kind of a, a, an investor in an early stage. How do you think about that opportunity? Are you ready to learn that? Have you learned that because you perhaps you worked for a fund beforehand, or are you ready to learn it uh, by just um, kind of reading up on it and, and having strong mentors, et cetera. Got it. So, you know, you, you always, uh, thinking about reinventing yourself and also spotting opportunities, uh, that are not obvious yet. And my sense is, uh, you know, that could be one of the reasons, uh, you ended up coming to India for a trip. Uh, and seems like you are interested in learning more about the market and then eventually start investing. Uh, you know, let's say I'm an Indian uh, founder raising capital. Uh, what would, like, what is Boris version one looking for that I would be a good fit for Boris and version one? Yeah. So our general investment thesis is backing mission-driven founders at the earliest stages, right? So. We really look for founders worldwide, not only in India, that um, are incredibly passionate about solving a specific problem, right? And they're taking the long-term view of solving that, right? They they have like this this incredible ambition, hustle, patience to to uh, really solve that that problem. So I think that's that's the core, right? Uh, we do that only at pre-seed and seed, so we're, we we want to take founder bets, right? Um, we're we're not people that look for traction and and a product in the market, etc. We really take take a, a, a founder bet, and then we're looking for things where we feel like it's early in a wave, right? And uh, obviously, um, you know, kind of when you think about the the two opportunities in India, India for India. Uh, it's it's relatively clear as the build out of you know kind of e-commerce D2C fintech healthcare um, education for India right uh, all of those verticals and then uh, India for the world I I think the the question is really as you compete in a worldwide market right 
what are big trends that are at the early, early stages, right? Um, I think everybody obviously thinks about AI right now. Um, and, and it's definitely a vertical that we're super interested in. Um, but the question would be on, on, on AI, like what is the non-obvious, uh, you know, kind of strategy in AI? What are, for example, um, AI native applications that nobody has really thought about right now versus just use cases that already exist where there's already tons of incumbents and you're trying to now go after that with AI, um, but, but pretty much the same similar uh, use case. Got it. This is helpful, uh, Boris. And with this, uh, you know, my my co-pilot is uh, is getting a little restless. Uh, he wants to get in, and uh, so he's asked me. Actually, he never asked uh, directly. So he's asking me to ask you, uh, what's your day like, Boris? Uh, starting from waking up to going to bed. Yeah, literally every day is a little bit different, right? Because um, I I, uh, I work from home. There's no office routine by by uh, kind of, but I just generally usually um, wake up at six, work for an hour an hour and a half, uh, just doing all the emails, uh, go for a run uh, every day, you know, roughly half an hour, take the kids to school, and then I usually have um, meetings, new entrepreneurs that be meeting existing portfolio companies, board meetings, uh, general catch-up meetings uh, to to about, you know, kind of, I would say, nine, nine to three. Um, get the kids, pick up the kids from school. And then uh, after I come back, usually another uh, kind of two, two to three hours of, of emails where I just catch up on, on, on emails. And then uh, dinner with the family. And then after that, kind of hopefully some family fun. Um, but that's, that's roughly, uh, kind of my, my, uh, my day. I, I travel quite a bit. I'm, I'm on the road, you know, every you know, two to three weeks. I love meeting people. Uh, Vancouver, where I'm based is a relatively small tech ecosystem. So ultimately I need to kind of get to other places to meet interesting people, more interesting people and, and learn. Uh, so that's certainly a part of a, um, a big part of my, my, my routine. Yeah. And Boris, you've mostly lived in Vancouver and you've been investing in U.S. Uh, since the beginning. Do you think living in a smaller uh, ecosystem gives you an edge? Yes and no. I think there's like in, 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 like in any scenario, there's like the kind of the, the good and the bad, right? I think the good of, of living in a smaller ecosystem is actually it really helps you um, have a little bit more of an outsider thinking, a little bit more independent thinking. It's, it's not the echo chamber that, that uh, the Silicon Valley is, right? And so I think that really helps um, kind of formulate that independent thing, which is especially uh, important at the early stages. Having said that, right, um, lots of venture is about learning, meeting new new people, meeting entrepreneurs, uh, running into people, like all of these these uh, relationships and uh, that that you develop, and that's hard to do in a small ecosystem like Vancouver, obviously, right? And so, um, coming back to my my previous point, the the way you fix that is you unfortunately have to travel quite a bit, and you know I I, I spend uh, systematically lots of time in, in San Francisco, in Seattle, in New York, in Toronto, uh, besides kind of Vancouver, 
and you just have to kind of um, do do that work uh, of of traveling to kind of account for the the the, the negative effect of being in a smaller ecosystem. Yeah, uh, you know, in my early years, I worked with uh, Howard Lindzen, and uh, you know, he he works out of San Diego. So I always thought because conventional wisdom is you need to be uh, you know out there where the action is, and his viewpoint was very similar to yours, where you know actually living uh, out. It, it helps you live outside the bubble and it also helps you think independently. Uh, but with that, uh, you know, he used to travel as well a lot, like just like you. And uh, Boris, uh, you know, what are you most obsessed about outside of work? Um, fitness. Uh, I, I love, I love uh, running. Uh, you know, I've, I really picked it up again 10 years ago and uh, started first road races, then triathlons, then trail races. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy uh, the physical activity uh, on a daily basis and getting better uh, in it, uh, despite age not being favorable to, to race performances, but uh, try, try to, uh, um, to, to get better and, and running and faster. Uh, that's certainly something I'm, I'm obsessed about. And has this been uh, since a very long time or a recent thing that you got into running and fitness a lot? No, I, I was a I was a runner when I was a teenager and in university, and then like when we started our startup, and then when we you know kind of later on with with kids, I, I think I I just didn't have enough time anymore, and so that was a real break for. A uh, good fifteen to twenty years where I didn't run that much, and then I got into it again uh, at around uh, the age of forty. Right, and so it was fun to to really get back into it uh, for something that I had you know done quite a bit when I was um, you know a teenager uh, and in university. Got it. And uh, Boris, you know, if you were to pick one or two experiences, uh, and it has to be outside of work during your trip in India. Uh, it could be around food. It could be around places uh, that just fascinated you. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the um, I, I I traveled to I traveled quite a bit in Asia, right? and I think Asia in general is like one of those incredibly rich experiences. In all very diverse, you know, I've been from. Tokyo to Beijing, Shanghai, just recently India, uh, Bali, Bangkok. So you know, I've, I've seen quite a bit, but I, I would say all of those, uh, I think street food markets is like one of the experiences I find so pure, so interesting, so exotic. I, I just love it. And it, it can be in all, it, you find it in many, many, obviously many, many different Asian uh, cities, right? Um, so that's probably, Street food in Asia is is one of the like experiences I would always call out. I think the second thing is um, an evening in Southern Europe in summer where everybody hangs out at the the plaza, right? The the square, the town square, and it's like one of the most social experiences you can see, where families hang out, kids playing soccer. Uh, kind of everybody uh, laughing, having fun, uh, drinking a beer, drinking a wine. Um, it's just like in terms of condensed um, 
social activity, like there's nothing better than that. So it's like very general, like the social experiences around town squares in, in summer in, in Southern Europe and uh, kind of street food in, in, in Asia, I would say like probably uh, two of my mo most interesting experiences. Got it. And Boris, uh, this one last one, uh, you know, if you could invite three people, uh, dead or alive, can be from any industry, for a dinner, who would that be and why? And uh, Alfonso is going to be the chef. <laughs> um, so I, I would pick, um, I would probably pick uh, the following three. First of all, uh, Fred Wilson, Uh, who is the uh, one of the founding partners of Unisco Ventures, right? And he has been my mentor uh, for the longest period of time. Uh, he, he used to blog quite a bit about venture capital, right? And while I never worked directly with Fred, I would say I, I like he was really my mentor and uh, like I learned venture from him and it would be amazing to, uh, to have him around the, The, the dinner table. Um, I think I would invite Elon Musk because I think he's just like the most ambitious, uh, visionary uh, entrepreneur, right? Um, and then I would probably invite um, Kayla Swift because I think she just has like such a, as an artist, such a Uh, it created such an appeal to such a broad audience that is just uh, something that would be um, super fun to to learn more about. Um, now, the big question is, would they all three get along? I'm not sure about that, but I certainly would love to have a dinner conversation with each of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of both, both in terms of looking at the past with Fred Wilson, like uh, having been my mentor and, and then, to that really master the art and are top performers in their field, Elon Musk and, and Taylor Swift. Got it. Uh, I think they would get along. Uh, I'm not saying that Alfonso is saying, he's <laughs> saying, I'll, I'll take care of that. <laughs> But I did, uh, you know, I watched uh, Taylor Swift's uh, documentary, uh, I think on Netflix. Uh, it's, it's crazy how obsessed she was about her art. Uh, and it's definitely one of my favorite activities. Boris, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. That was, uh, that was great fun. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, continue the success with your podcast series.